Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. As the pandemic receded, the fans returned to the football stadiums. And so did something else. It was a disturbance outside a pub, hand-to-hand fighting, furniture, tables, chairs through the windows of this pub. Among the tens of thousands of supporters crossing the country every week to attend games are some who everyone else fervently wishes would stay at home. What really concerned me was the age of a lot of the lads that are getting involved with this, how young so many of these kids are and the fact that they are groomed to be the next generation of football hooligans. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, who are the new football hooligans? My name is Matt Lawton. I'm the Chief Sports Correspondent at The Times. I've been a journalist for 30 years now. How long have you been going to football matches? Oh, decades, yeah. Going back to being a kid. My first game as a journalist was um, back in April 1993. Now, do you remember the first professional football match you went to as a child? Crikey. I actually can't. Um, (laughs) It's a long time. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to think. I remember going to see an England game. It was at Wembley. It was uh, against Brazil. Zico and Keegan scored. I think that was 77. Now, you recently went and spent a weekend not watching the football, but working with the people who watch the people who watch football. What was going on? It was prompted by the UK Football Policing Unit publishing some statistics, which suggested that there had been a significant rise in violence and disorder at football matches. And when the UK FPU published these statistics, it talked about almost a 50% rise in arrests. It talked about more than 50% rise in incidents at clubs outside the Premier League. So that prompted me to approach the police and ask them if I could go to a couple of games with their dedicated football police officers to see for myself what the issue was. For his investigation, Matt spent a weekend with the Football Policing Unit. You'll hear excerpts of his interview in today's episodes, as well as some of the sounds of that weekend gathered for a video produced by The Times and TalkSport. And it just so happened that in the week that I approached them, they had decided they were going to spend the weekend in Nottingham. One was planning to go to the 
Notts County Grimsby game on the Saturday and the other one was planning to attend the Nottingham Forest Leicester City FA Cup game on the Sunday. So they didn't pick them because they thought any particular trouble was likely to be associated with it. They picked them because this was part of their getting round the country. No, I think they did pick them because they thought they could be problematic matches. They had concerns around the Grimsby Town travelling fans and they also had concerns around Nottingham Forest versus Leicester City because they hadn't played each other since 2014. And they both have, sadly, even though it's 2022, still have firms, hooligan firms, that have been established since the 80s but are still going. Firms are long-established and organised groups of football hooligans. Most clubs apparently still have one, even if they're often shadows of their former selves. There was intelligence that they were planning to get reacquainted, that they were planning to renew hostilities. Now, it doesn't seem obvious to me, even as a football fan, why would Grimsby Town have a problem? It's hard to explain. And again, it's in the National League, they do seem to have a problem with their fans, as was demonstrated on that Saturday morning, when not only did they trash one of the trains they travelled on from Grimsby to Nottingham, but when there was a police drug search conducted at the station, they found an awful lot of those fans were carrying Class A drugs. There was evidence of drug use on the actual train and when the fans were met by officers with sniffer dogs, one of the one of the uh, results of that as they passed through the checkpoint was a train platform once they'd all gone that was littered with little bags of cocaine. And when you talk about trashing the trains, what are we talking about? There was broken glass everywhere, there were seats doused in urine, there were bottles of urine that obviously used containers to relieve themselves. It was generally a mess. You know, lots of discarded beer cans, beer bottles, so much so that the train had to be taken out of service. There was so much broken glass that it couldn't continue in its journey. What do we know about the if, the kind of composition of the people who were on those trains? I mean, demographically, what are we talking about? Predominantly male and it was a mixture of ages and what really struck me in this crowd was how many young lads were in among these guys and quite clearly were traveling alone or, or traveling without a legal guardian without a parent kids as young as 12 13 14 and one of the things that became very apparent was how common this was and how much of a concern it was for the police it's a safeguarding concern as much as anything, but also a concern in terms of where this could lead. One of the police officers Matt spoke to was Simon Travell, the dedicated football officer for Nottingham Forest. Simon told him about boys at games carrying drugs for older men. We have had one instance certainly that would have proven that the young person was carrying um, cocaine for the group that they were with because right. they know that they'll perhaps not get searched on the way in. How old were um, they? That individual was 15. They're being set a very bad example and one of the inspectors I spoke to compared it to grooming. You know, not much different to the sort of grooming that sadly happens with organised crime gangs. There's an element of grooming going on here and the really alarming bit is the fact that... Um, the parents don't even realise they've gotten a train to a city in another part of the country. One of the 
roles that these dedicated football officers perform, certainly down the week, is they will go and visit the families of these lads at times. They have absolutely no idea this is happening and no idea the kind of trouble they're getting into. Now, they've either left their cocaine on the platform or they've smashed up the train, depending on which train they've on. They've then gone to the Notts County ground. What happened there? They discovered more people carrying drugs. A guy was arrested. There wasn't too much trouble outside the ground, but once in the ground, the Grimsby fans occupied one end, two and a half thousand of them. The majority of them behaved as you would hope, absolutely fine. But it was a tense game. They went 1-0 down. They got an equaliser. And then in the last couple of minutes in stoppage time, they won a free kick. And the fans started to sing that if they scored, they were going on the pitch. They did indeed score. And quite a large number of the fans tried to rush the pitch. Now, the problem with that was that in that melee they swamped an area that was occupied predominantly by disabled fans fans in wheelchairs who were understandably terrified but they also forced the stewards to take pretty aggressive action to hold them back and as a consequence one lady was led past us by the st john ambulance people she had a broken nose and i I would i would estimate she was in her 50s, perhaps even 60s, was a lady that works as a steward at the ground and she was left nursing a broken nose because people were trying to illegally enter the pitch. That's one match and somehow or other they got off and uh, went back to Grimsby and so on. And what about the other game? So the following day we went back to Nottingham to spend another day with the officers. A different kind of game, much bigger, much more fans expected, visiting fans. The day started at the sort of morning briefing in the control room at at the city ground, Nottingham Forest ground. I remember growing up in that era of the sort of 80s and 90s and all the problems with hooliganism and all those sort of problems that arose. I remember my dad and my brother got caught in, must have been early 80s. Uh, Crystal Palace was our local team and, and my dad actually stopped going to football at that point because they got caught in a rather nasty situation near Selhurst Park. So I remember those days, but I was just struck by the fact that the police were discussing the existence of these two firms, the Forest Executive Crew and the Leicester Baby Squad. The firms were brought up during the police pre-match briefing which Matt attended. Today's game is uh, Nottingham Forest versus Leicester City. Attendance is a sellout. Both groups are aware of the other group's presence today and are looking forward to uh, them being out. We're standing here in 2022 and we're still talking about firms that are called the yeah. Baby Squad and the Forest Executive yes. Crew and yeah. these groups still exist? Yes, they do. Very often they'll have just one day a year that they'll come out, which they'll refer to as their flag day, and they'll have a reunion more than anything. And they were going through the actual key members of these groups, the sort of most notorious members, the the people that they refer to them as faces, the officers refer to them as faces, as in known faces. Some of these guys were older than me. Uh, you know, I'm 50, 51, nearly 52. Some of these guys were born in the 60s. One guy was indeed born the same year as me, 1970. And you're thinking, God, even if you were an idiot when you were in your 20s, have you not grown up? But there they were. They expected these guys to be there. 
One of them was, I recall, was easy to identify because of a particularly prominent fake tan <laughs> and uh, seems to love sunbeds. After that meeting, we then went back to Nottingham Station and I stood with the officers and we waited for a series of trains to come in from Leicester. I have to say, Leicester City fans were arriving and they were behaving pretty impeccably. There, yeah, there were a few songs, a few chants, but they got off the train, they left the station and they headed into the city. No problem. But at the same time, there was a realisation among the police that the guys they were really looking for, the guys that were a member of this baby squad, weren't on the train. And it was at that point that they concluded that they must have used an alternative means of transport to get there. And then suddenly the call came in that there was indeed uh, an outbreak of violence in a pub in the city centre. There was um, a police van outside. Yeah, we jumped into the back of that with the officers and started to tear across the city, into the city centre, and obviously the blue light going. All right, everybody out when we get up to the lights for us. And it was a disturbance outside a pub, hand-to-hand -hand fighting. Leicester City fans throwing furniture, tables, chairs through the windows of this pub. There were people inside that weren't Nottingham Forest fans. They were simply families, normal people, having their Sunday lunch, having to deal with this kind of issue. It was pretty horrendous. By the time we got there, the police officers who had got there first had managed to create a, a circle around them and rounded them up to some degree, but it was pretty unpleasant. Week in, week out at the minute, the police have got to put themselves in the way of groups trying to fight each other. Um, we've had a knock or duster discarded at the scene as well. So clearly they've come with weapons, pre-planned, um, with intent yeah. to fight. Let's take it back a bit and go over a little bit of the history because it's also your history and my history. So I started going to football matches in the mid-70s. It was really bad, really bad in most first division clubs. I remember being on the terraces at Tottenham when the West Ham intercity firm decided to overrun the bit that actually all the women and children used to stand in and so on. I was there at the time and there were regular fights outside. There was that very, very famous occasion in which you saw somebody with a dart in their head yeah, to, because that was one of the weapons that were used. So it was really bad at one stage, wasn't it? Yes, it was. For the so-called English disease. There was no mistaking that some of the thugs got the fight they'd obviously come looking for. These were the worst scenes of violence ever witnessed at an English football ground. Millwall fans twice invaded the Luton pitch, fighting a running battle with the police. Ninety people are appearing before a special court in Darlington tonight after fighting broke out before the start of the third division match Thugs were armed with ammonia, snooker balls and disposable Stanley knives. And as a consequence, English clubs were banned from Europe. It was that bad. People were dying. On May the 29th at the European Cup final between Liverpool and Juventus, the violence of English football fans brought about the death of 38 people. That was at the Heysel Stadium in Brussels. Four years later, in April 1989, police failings helped lead to the deaths of 97 fans at the Hillsborough Stadium in Sheffield. And one result was to change the way the game was watched in this country. Standing terraces were banned and replaced by seating. This and other changes effectively kicked hooliganism out of the grounds. 
they had to take action and the most significant reform was the introduction of all-seater stadiums. But I also think there was a conscious effort by all the respective authorities, by the football authorities, by the police, by the fans groups, to just try and change the demographic a bit, to make it more of a family sport, to have family areas. You know, I took my daughters to Manchester United a few years ago. As it was, they didn't particularly bite on the football park. <laughs> but that's the kind of efforts that were made to, to try and change the demographic to make it a bit different. Now, as I say, it's never completely been eradicated because you still go to England matches and you still get the German bomber song and you still get No Surrender. No Surrender to the IRA is a song sung by a section of fans since the 1970s and the violence in Northern Ireland. Ten German Bombers is a children's song originally sung by British school children during World War II and then adopted by some England fans. And the rather depressing bit about it is the fact that um, the people singing it now don't even remember the troubles in, in Northern Ireland. They weren't born when these things were happening, but they've inherited this from a previous generation of, of idiots. And these people are unpleasant to be around when you're watching football. Yeah, I think that's one of the big differences, uh, isn't it? Which is that other fans also, and you pointed this out in fans group, decided they really didn't want to have to put up with this anymore. They didn't They didn't like it. Do you think that by a, a couple of years ago, three or four years ago, we got rather complacent about all this? Because those of us who went to premiership matches, we hadn't seen anything, any hooligans in, in the ground or around it for a long time. And so the word was out, this is a gone issue. Maybe, and I do think there is perhaps an issue around COVID and around lockdown, which may have suddenly accelerated things. What was interesting, I, I did an interview with Mark Roberts a couple of weeks ago. He's the head of football policing for the UK. He's the chief constable for Cheshire. He's a football fan. He's been going most of his life. He's a season ticket holder. And he made a very interesting observation. And that was the fact that there is certainly a generation of teenage lads who have slightly missed out on the normal process by which we all grow up, the normal process by which we all mature. That first time you might feel like you're just about tall enough and old enough to sneak into a pub, get served and sit quietly in the corner and hope that the landlord doesn't notice you. They've all been locked away sort of between the ages of 15, 16 and 18, unable to go out, unable to just develop the way that we've all developed and have come out the other end of COVID and, and lockdown not really knowing how to behave. Now, this isn't everybody. This is the majority of 18-year-olds are absolutely fine. Of course they are. But there are some who they think are behaving quite badly as a consequence of missing out on, I guess, a vital part of their life education. Coming up, the big game that told us that the violence was back. But first... I'm Emma Tucker, editor of The Sunday Times. It's thanks to listeners like you that we're able to provide journalism that matters. Get to the heart of the story every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Thank you. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's go back to the incident that shocked people into realizing that maybe this wasn't all over. And that was the day of the Euro 2020 final at Wembley, which of course happened in 2021. What happened that day? Thousands of fans had gathered to drink outside Wembley hours before the 8pm kickoff. The atmosphere souring when ticketless fans breached a security cordon outside the ground. The violent and ticketless mob, numbering 2,000, tailgated, stormed disabled gates or fire exits and broke into the stadium. A dangerous, hostile environment for fans attending the nation's biggest game in half a century. I got there pretty early that day, two, three o'clock in the afternoon. And there was definitely a sense, one, that there were far more people there than I expected there to be. But also that there was a real charged atmosphere about it. It felt intimidating. It felt unpleasant. People knew there were going to be 30,000 empty seats. So if they could somehow find a means of getting in, it wasn't simply going to be a case of walking in and being very obvious to stewards and security and even the police that you're there without a ticket because there was going to be somewhere to sit down. So that happened, but obviously it went to another level for the final because they didn't just gain entry through the actual turnstiles. They actually forced entry through security doors and other access points. In some cases, as we found out later, by bribing stewards, but generally just by forcing their way in through disabled entrances, through any means they could. It's an enormous building, the National Stadium. There's lots of entrances and they got in, thousands of them. The FA asked Dame Louise Casey to write a report on the events of that day. It was published in December. 
people coming here thought they might chance it and certainly having spent a day drinking and using drugs their um, entitlement to chancing it was greater than probably it would have been if they'd been sober um, you also have one of the key findings was the fact that she did feel that a lot of this disorder was driven by drug and alcohol abuse that these guys were fueled particularly by class a drugs i think one of the most chilling things was the fact that um there was a view that it would have actually been worse had England won that game, had England actually beaten Italy, because it would have just escalated the response, the drunkenness, people wouldn't have dispersed as quickly afterwards. She felt it was very, very fortunate that nobody actually died that day. We were probably seconds or minutes away from either a life-changing injury or indeed worse, a fatality. Only 51 arrests, which I found quite strange, really, given the amount of disorder. But I think this was where the police were just utterly outnumbered. So we have the Casey report and you have the report from the UK Football Policing Unit who you talk to. Are you aware of anything happening as a result of those two reports? I think the football authorities are waking up to the fact that there is a problem, that there is indeed a rise in disorder, that there is an issue here that needs to be tackled, that there is a problem with Class A drug abuse, that basically there is an element growing within the football community that unless something is done is going to make it increasingly unpleasant. The statistics speak for themselves. There are conversations happening. They want to look at banning orders and they want a bit more of a collaborative approach. One of the complaints from the police was that there's not always enough dialogue between clubs and the police when it comes to some of their more troublesome fans. They may not know the police about fans being banned by an individual club. I was amazed to hear this, but the police complain that they're not always informed of this. Hmm. And it means that a fan is banned from their home ground, but they then just go to the away games. It needs everyone working together. It needs Premier League, the EFL, the FA, the police, the football clubs. Uh, we've seen today how we've worked together with the, the stewards from Forest and Leicester, but it needs help from, from the government as well. We need tough sentences. Um, football banning orders for the right offences. I also think that more money does need to be spent on policing. The police bills are quite steep, but these things do cost money. And one of the things that has happened since we did the piece is the fact that when clubs saw our film and saw the sniffer dogs doing these checks and saw what the result of that was, saw the fact that drugs were discarded, a number of other clubs have now contacted the football policing unit to have similar checks done at their grounds. <laughs> the police had already were already planning to do some more of those operations, but now I believe that they're going to be doing them for the remainder of the season, every weekend. But the thing is, David, that does cost money. That operation, it was called Operation Wolfgang, that particular operation in Nottingham, there were 40 officers there, 40 officers and three dog teams on a Saturday morning. That's expensive. That's overtime, and someone's got to pay for that. Now, I think this takes us very neatly to uh, one of the points behind this, which is people like me who go to a premiership club, well-resourced premiership club, we haven't seen anything really bad for a very long time. But I gather from your reporting that when you go further down the leagues to where they don't have money and they can't afford uh, significant police presence and their stewarding is very amateur... 
they might be having a bigger problem despite the smaller crowds. Now, I wouldn't know because I don't go to these matches, but is that broadly right? Policing bills for a football club can run into hundreds of thousands of pounds. And while that's peanuts for a Premier League club that will pay that kind of money for one player for one week, that's a lot of money to a club like Grimsby Town or to Notts County. So that is one of the issues. I think that day in Nottingham on Saturday, I think the club had paid for maybe eight officers to be inside the ground. But there were 50, more than 50 officers required to police that game, never mind the 40 officers who were involved in conducting that drug search at the ground. It's a big operation. You're dealing with large numbers of people. You've got officers from British Transport Police, you've got officers from Nottinghamshire, you've got officers from Leicestershire, and you've got the dedicated football police officers. Before you went to Nottingham, did you realise how bad things had got on a national scale? I didn't, know. I honestly didn't. And as I say, I've been going to matches as a journalist alone for nearly 30 years. And I was quite shocked by it and hadn't realised that these firms were still going. That was the bit that really struck me. You know, there's been books written, there's been films made about these kind of groups. I didn't realise they were still going in the manner in which they are. The fact that there are still people that identify with this. It was an eye-opener. And what really concerned me was the age of a lot of the lads that are getting involved with this. That was what I... I was really alarmed by was just how young so many of these kids are and the fact that they are mimicking what they're seeing, the fact that they are dressing the same way, the fact that they are perhaps being sort of egged on by the older guys, groomed to be the next generation of football hooligans. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of the Times and the Sunday Times, with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Times Chief Sports Correspondent Matt Lawton. And you can read more of Matt's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Edward Drummond, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Have a good weekend. See you soon. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.